This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Do you ever like hear stories about you know, the guy who slept on his couch and because he had this idea and then ultimately sold his idea um, into this multi-million dollar company a couple years later. You really like, hear those stories? Well, the guest that we're having on next actually did that, like literally slept on his couch because him and a buddy had an idea and sold his company for many millions of dollars a few years later. He's here talking about how to take an idea and literally turn it into a multi-million dollar business. You're not going to want to miss this one. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. Uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Seth Farman, the, ch- the co-chairman of V Corp Services, an individual who started a company literally from his basement and grew it to becoming a multi-million-dollar company uh, throughout his life. Somebody who is. I mean, if you know him personally, you know and you love him. And if you know him professionally, it's the exact same way. Someone who's managed to bring uh, integrity and all the right stuff and still be successful. Someone that we learn from a lot. And especially someone who literally built his own company with his own two hands with the help of others. And to a place in which he has launched product after product, service after service to really change the community and change the market. Uh, It's an honor to have him on the show. Seth, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. So I want to jump right in and talk a little bit about, um, you know, how you started because we talk a lot about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship is a really hot in vogue term. And um, when you talk about entrepreneurship, the idea is that the, the goal of it, if you will, I think is that somebody has the ability to build their future. They don't have to sort of follow a path. They don't have to like, you know, if you're like three years old and you're good at like science and you become a doctor and if you're good at math and become an actuary and like people have the ability to go out and change their lives and things like that. And now what I loved about what you did and I want to sort of talk there is that you didn't start off in the business that you're in right now, right? You built it with, on your own. I'm a, a big believer that when people are thinking about starting their own business, you know, what type of business do I start? So my best advice is to always find a hole within the industry that you know or that you're comfortable with and see if you can plug up that hole. And those are often the best businesses out there. So um, I was a securities attorney. I was doing certain types of filings with the SEC, and I saw a niche, an opportunity for things to be done differently, a little bit better, a little bit faster, a little bit cheaper. And I tried to just plug that hole, and out of that, a a great opportunity was, uh, was born. So the hole you plug, just to the listeners, is you saw that filing certain documents with the government were incredibly expensive, you know, per document and time and 
laborious. And he said, wait a second, it doesn't have to be this way, right? So just give us the moment. We were what, you were working late at night. What's the moment where you said, wait a second, I have something here. Well, I think that it was, uh, I don't know if there was an aha moment. A lot of people do have that. Mine was more like an aha year, probably, <laughs> where you just, you just kind of say, well, one second, as a securities attorney, I'm bringing in the business, I'm responsible for the clients, I have to do all the work, I'm, uh, I have the liability, and I even have to go after and collect. So in a sense, I'm sort of running my own company within a company, why not try to do this for myself? And then um, you just have to, uh, you have to take a deep breath, um, you have to think about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. It's an entirely different uh, makeup or DNA than working for someone else. And that's what I always say. You, you have to think, do I have that bug? It takes a certain type of personality. You're just, your brain is wired differently than the guy sitting next to you. Why doesn't somebody just pick up and start their own? Why don't all 120 just pick up and start their own? And sometimes they do. Uh, there's, that's, there's nothing that you could do to avoid that entirely. But at the end of the day... It just takes a certain type of DNA, and either you have that or you don't. And that's what I think people that are considering starting their own company have to really think about. So let's talk about that for a second, because I want to go a little bit further into your story to get underneath this. Because um, there's a few things you said that I, I, I think it's, it's, it's worthy of, of depth, which is the aha year. Most people, if they're in a job, at this point, when you left to your securities attorney work to go launch this company, VStock, Right, you were married, right? Vintage, and yes, Vintage. I was. I was married, and uh, at the time, you have had two kids. So you had two kids. You had a, you had a bill. It's not like and you were I like, hey, listen, I'm going back to mommy. Yes. <laughs> you know, but we're, we're hearing stories today about entrepreneurs, and God bless them all. But these guys are coming out of college. They're living on like you know three hundred dollars a month. I mean, like these guys are living at home, or like they're sharing an apartment with eight other guys. They basically play for their pay for their own lives um, and and some food. Right, so the stakes are a little higher when you're married with two kids, which which could help, right? I mean, the more pressure on you, it's 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 all in, right. and I have to make this work. Right. Otherwise, there's there's no other option. So, well, this, well that's a great thing you're helps. burning your bridge. So, the, the what I find a lot of times with people is that everyone's got these ideas, and they want to start new companies, and there's an aha moment that people have. I mean, a lot of people have moments of aha, like you know, it'd be great if we did this, and great if we did that. How do you distinguish between what I think is what you're saying is your aha year, which means I'm guessing you didn't just one night go, oh my gosh, I got it. You came home and said, we're changing everything. You wake up the next morning like in the movies, you, you sort of, you give in your resignation and then like, you know, snap your fingers and then you're being bought by Google, right? You, you see an idea and then what? Like how long do you, does it take you? You, do you vet it? Do you talk to people? Do you think about it? That's a great, it's a great question, and it's, a, uh, it's an important point to, uh, to distinguish because you may have a great idea, and there's always a message that I try to, I try to give over to people. I, I learned a very expensive lesson, and for all the listeners out there, jot this down. Not every great idea makes money. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the first one. thing I would suggest that if you have, wow, I've got that idea, I'm going to make millions, and I'm not every great idea makes money, just to uh, a quick story. We had you know, hundreds of thousands of people uploading photos, clicking how much weight they want to lose, seeing what they would look like if they were successful at their weight loss. And, um, and it was great. We were Channel 2, Channel 4, Good Morning America. But then I turned on the flip, flipped the switch to start charging for it, and it went from being an amazing idea to a cute product or a gimmick 
and wasn't a company. So it was a great idea. It inspired people. People cried. People were, were, were motivated. But at the end of the day, it didn't make money. And so that's the first step. When you have that aha idea that this is it, think about is it a product? Is it something that's going to be a fad or is it really a company? Right. So let me jump in on that because let me, what, what is your opinion of this whole like internet world where people say, let me just get views and then we'll figure out how to monetize. Right? You look at a Google and Google says, we have no idea how we're making money. Let's just make a good product. Look at a Facebook. There's all these people that are saying, just get me people to view and then I'll monetize it. So you think that's a little bit more out there because the numbers of people you have to get are like bajillions. Correct. But most people, if they follow that mentality, are going to end up in the place you're saying, which is, I think it's a good idea, but if you're, you're, not, if you're not willing to like get a search engine that everybody looks at or a Facebook that everyone goes on, in all likelihood, you don't really have a company. We, you know, I think every business is different. I personally don't have internet experience. My products are not necessarily internet related. Um, where I'm going to go after those views. But, you know, if you have a product, that might be a different story as opposed to a service. You Uh have to distinguish between the two. Am I trying to sell a product or am I selling a service? Um, What's the audience am I going after? I think every company is uh, is really going to depend on uh, on your target audience, whether Uh or not you're focusing on the net. So the, and, the, and, and the goal, obviously, for what you're saying here, and this is part of the aha moment conversation, is when you're having an aha moment, you can't be, and this happens a lot. I mean, I hear this a lot. I'm sure you do as well. People have ideas, and they just, it's like, they, the, the, the distance between their, their brain and their mouth is like, you know, less than three seconds. So it's like, I had an idea, and I'm telling you about it. And that's great. But it's a little bit more, it's a little, that's a little more dramatic than one, the way it really works. The way it really works is you have an idea and you vet it and you think about it and you vet it and you think about it and you really need to make sure that your idea is not only a good idea in general, but your idea also has at least the opportunity for monetization, right? Because there are a lot of ideas that we don't know how to monetize yet, but that will be monetized. There's a lot of things that we don't know we needed until someone gave it to us and then it was free on an app and then you start charging for it. So there's a lot of ways to give free content and then come back and charge you. But I think what you're getting at, which is the point here, is that you have to think through the entire idea in your aha year, if you will. You have to think through it and you raise a good point in terms of vetting it, everybody should have a select group of close friends or mentors, people in the community that they can call and just pick their brain. Say, can I just get your thoughts on this? I've done it in the past. What do you think about this idea? Really somebody that you can trust. At the end of the day, anybody who tells you that they can determine if an idea is, uh, as they say on Shark Tank, a hero or a zero, you know, they don't know for sure. Nobody knows for sure. But you want to try to speak to a select group of people that you trust, that you respect their opinion. You know, do I have something here? Do you think it would work? Come at it with fresh eyes because I'm so in love with this idea. I'm not going to be able to see wow. some of the, uh, the pitfalls. And, and even when t- people tell you it may not be a great idea, if you really love it and you got to stick to your gun, uh, probably 10 years ago now, a CEO came to me and said, I've got the greatest idea I said, sure, let me hear it. Everybody's got the greatest idea. He says, seltzer and flavoring. I said, wow, yeah, I like Coke. I like coffee. I'm not so into the flavor and seltzering. 
I'll pass. And it ended up being SodaStream, which, as you know, has raised hundreds of millions Someone of dollars. Someone came through SodaStream. We, 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 as a service provider at Vintage Filings, uh-huh. we did their SEC filings and we helped them go public. But just in terms of conceptually, I was like, okay, it's, uh-huh. it's, flavored, so, it's flavored seltzer. Right. What's the big deal? You know, what's the big deal? And uh, $500 million later, I was proven wrong. So you never know. If you really are passionate about something, then pursue it. But definitely try to vet it, speak to people, get their opinions, and, uh, and, and then you know, look to pursue it. So let me ask you this, because as you're saying, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, how do I create more direction to help people know what's worth pursuing? And maybe, maybe one way to look at it is, tell me if you, if you agree with this way of looking at it, is that when you, just, when you have an idea, um, the idea is a, sort of this one large mass Right, I, I was talking to me yesterday, and they gave me their idea, and I liked the first part of it, not the second part of it. And they said to me, like, "Well, if you don't like it, then forget it." I said, "No, no, no, no. You gotta like. It's not black or white. It's not binary. It's not like a switch. An idea has parts. It's like a car, right? There's a motor, and there's an engine, and there's a wheel, and there's a steering wheel. And unless you know that your idea has like 30 parts, you can't move it. Maybe what I hear, what I'm hearing you say, is that you, when you start, when you have an idea in your head that you think is a business, it's like almost like it's the engine. Like you have your idea and you have to spend the time building the parts around it. How am I making money? How's it really working? How much money? This is something that I think most people don't get is that things cost more money than you think. Right? Always. The, <laughs> the amount of time and effort and energy to launching something is like whatever you think it's going to be, just make it like three or four times. Because if, if you only have like, you know, people people come with ideas and it's like, okay, it's going to be about $20,000 to launch. I'm like, are you out of your mind? It's like $20,000 a month to, just to get started. And as you start to build this idea around, you go get it vetted. And I wrote down the word bulletproof. I saw this thing where um, there's this one incubator that when they're done with their ideas, they sit in a room and they invite everyone else in the incubator to come in and beat it up. Great idea. And at the end of the day, you're like so broken, but then you're supposed to literally like go back and go, okay, there's a hole here. There's a hole. The goal is to find chinks in the armor. And again, like you said, not every single armor is going to be have to be perfect. You can still win wars with not great armor. But just to see which elements of your idea make sense so that when you go to somebody you can say okay the guy didn't like element abc but he liked d so if i can fix a i can really you know get close and then you can see if your idea really is like everybody else or your idea really has a chance and when and when you are speaking to those people about your your idea for a company i think there's also a very big difference and you have to ask yourself is it a product that people get right away or do I really have to spend a lot of time educating them? In other words, if it's, if it's something that's totally revolutionary and to- totally transformational, which are great words that a lot of investors like to hear and a lot of CEOs like to throw around, it's transformational, it's gonna change the industry. Well, that's great, but if I have to spend my whole day explaining it to people for them to get it, that sometimes tells you that it's gonna be a, a bit of a challenge or an uphill battle. Right, and usually things that are transformational are simple. The, the transformation comes in the scale, right? That's a great point. And I, I, I do this also all the time. I'm constantly like, my head is spinning and I got all this stuff going on. And then all of a sudden I come up with this idea and I tell, this, I tell someone about it and they're like, yeah, I don't fully get it. I'm like, what? How do you not see it my way? And the answer is like, I don't fully get it. I'm on your head. And I'm like, I, I just couldn't explain it anymore. And then I realized like, you know, if I can't even explain the idea, how is anyone going to buy what I want or the service? It's such a great idea that a lot of times I find that people don't, can't explain it well because they haven't thought it through. Right. And they, it's just sort of like still 
percolating in their head. And, and that's something that I think is the first piece of what I, I want to really get out of what, what you're saying here as a takeaway, which is let's move away from aha moments and move towards aha years. That sounds to me the way to do it, which is you should never, ever think that there's a moment that you have an aha moment. Just last night I was working on an idea. I was thinking of this thing, and then I went into my files. I've been germinating over an idea for two to three years, and it's the same idea that keeps on coming back and back and back. And as my first thought was like, oh my gosh, I missed the opportunity. And my second thought is, no, no, I didn't. Like, it takes time to really think through what you're doing and to really make sure that when you want to make a decision to leave something or to, even more important than leaving, I find, ask somebody else for money. People are very quick to ask people for money. Like, that's someone else's money that you're now taking in your possession. And as much as they're like, no problem, like, that's still something that you have to, at the end of the day, feel like I have, I'm a steward for that money. Sometimes it takes two years. Sometimes it takes nine months. Sometimes it takes time to think and think and think and say, is this right? And can I ask a question? And can I do some more research? And can I, you know, watch a, a talk given by the expert in the industry on for an hour? And do I fully get it to the point in which I could push it forward? Along those lines, though, there's always that the, the opposite side where you want, and I always encourage people to be smart about it, do your research, make sure you understand the industry you're jumping into and spend the time on it, weeks, months. But it does come a point where just do it. Because yeah. if you don't just do it, I mean, I know people who are just they're they're perfectionists to an extreme and they will spend a year two years building a website because when i reveal it to the world it has to be perfect and you know what the time for that product may have come and gone already and there are certain personality types that i find that they will literally be planning for years and years and years yeah. people that plan the website for years people that spend 6 months agonizing over a name for their company you know yeah. at some point it's just it's just a name when yeah. we uh when my partner and i started the business not that this is uh any way to follow it but we sat down good good 50 50 great there's a bottle of uh, seltzer on the table vintage seltzer vintage filings great name done and great. and the whole thing took about a minute and a half may not always be the best approach but the opposite extreme is you cannot just spend years preparing people that, that don't take office space because they have to find the right one and the right lighting and the right, the right, uh, the right uh, traffic flow. And at some point, you just have to pull the trigger and right. jump in because, and, and I think this is an important lesson for the audience, it never stays the same as you think it will. In other words, you may think, I need an office with cubicles, as we did, and then the bankers come in and they say, well, do you have a conference room? And this was on a Wednesday. And we said, sure. And in the next three, four days, we're spent knocking down walls so that by Monday morning, we had a conference room. You never know what direction the business is going to go. So you have to be flexible. Um, and it may be an entirely different end result than what you originally started or you thought it was going to be. Well, that's a great point. And, and that's exactly right. And I think balance, which is the balance of the entrepreneur, really, the balance of... There isn't an answer to this, which I wish there was, but I think what you're getting at, which is the right point, is that you have to balance between being smart and trying to be perfect. Perfect is a, an internal, I think. I did, I did a show, for those that, are, that want to go to the archives, it should be on in the podcast, we did a show, I think it was February 17th, um, uh, and we talked about, February 19th was the show, and we talked about the perils of perfection. And when I started my, my in, in law firm, um, 
the first week of in Davis Polk, they had these these uh, um, trainings, and one of the trainings that, that when you sat down to the room, the the the, the image on the slide, the, the the slogan was proofread until your eyes bleed, <laughs> and the whole presentation was basically saying like if you think you're going to send out an email or a memo and there's a spelling mistake, like you know do not. Pasco, do not collect two hundred dollars. Just leave now. <laughs> and I would, I would, my first year read emails twenty, thirty, forty times. Wow. Um, and there is a sense of trying to make your work great, um, but I definitely feel that there is this. And I and I I'm trying to get over it. I find this is part of my recovery out of being an attorney. When I say I'm a recovering attorney, people think like I'm joking. I'm serious. Like the attorney in me says, everything that I've ever done has to be. Checked and rechecked, revised and revised 13, 14, 30, 40, 50 times. That goes away after like the 10 year mark. Oh, yeah. I'm talking from experience. <laughs> I can't, can't wait. Now I can barely spell. <laughs> I can't, can't wait. And I'm working so hard, but the idea is that you're right. You got to push for um, getting the product out. It's, I think it's like the Steve Jobs model, right? You got to push so that when the consumers get it, they think it's better than they've ever thought, but they know there's going to be a next model next year. They know it's not perfect. They know that the application iOS is going to have bugs and they're okay with it because they know that you're fixing it. Let's jump in right away because now we go through the aha year, the aha segment of time, and now you launch your company. And the way at least people think about it is that you walk out, you're an entrepreneur, you're living in Silicon Valley, and someone buys you out for millions of dollars, and you're on the cover of Forbes. But that's not really how it works. The way it really works is now you've got nothing, if you will. You're starting from scratch. Now, what's great about your story that you told me earlier that I'd love to hear again is sort of how did you, you know, people say that if you're going to go up in an industry with giants, you're going to lose. So I know a lot of people, myself included, where we have ideas for things and go, okay, well, there are two or three guys on the street that are doing it already better than me, so I have no chance. But that, that was exactly what you did, right? You started a filing company in an industry where there were two major league filing companies. We did. Um, and uh, in retrospect, it was pretty crazy to, to try uh, that undertaking. But I never really focused on what the competitors were doing. We just tried to focus on what we thought was the right product or the right service to bring to the table. And I think that in general, people that are contemplating going into a service, a product, or an industry where there are larger players, you just want to capture the first bit of market share. And I'm a very big believer that if you have, a, again, a product or service, when you can make $1,000 and then $10,000, it's, it's proof of concept, and that's right. what I look for. And then once that happens, no holds bar. If I know if I can make $10,000, I can make $100,000. If I can make $100,000, I can just keep adding zeros because I've done it, and it's doable, and there's a market for it. And so, yeah, I may never get the you know, billion-dollar New York Stock Exchange companies as clients, or at least not the first five or ten years, but, um, but that's not my audience. I'm going after the smaller fish to start my company. And then as we went along and as we grew, we were able to upgrade and, uh, and, and capture larger clients and larger market share. So uh, at the end of the day, those two companies ended up merging for about $480 uh, million, and, um, and the industry started consolidating. So it's a good thing we were never looking at what the big boys were doing. We just did what we thought was the right thing, and um, 
that's that's what I think people have to do. Right. And when you started, from my, if I remember correctly, what you did is you said, listen, we're 24 hours, right? That was what you... 24-7. Slept on the couch, right. you know, so inhaled pizza that. because that's what it took. I didn't have time for a break. Um, when you're starting a company, it, it, it has to be all in um, because you're wearing every hat and you have to be passionate and dedicated and energetic and not afraid of failure and just... Um, you know, whatever it takes. So you, when you started your company, just you said it very quickly. I want to make sure we slow it down. You said you slept on your couch. How long and why did you sleep on your couch? So my partner and I have a great relationship. Um, our roles are actually reversed 15 years later. But when we started, he was the sales guy running around the world, literally trying to find clients. And I was the operations guy, which means I was responsible for everything that he brought in, which meant processing it, legalities, uh, dealing with the clients, and we were a 24-7 filing business, again, helping uh, public companies file with the SEC, and so I literally sat there doing all the processing, and we were 24-7, which means probably for about six months, I slept on the couch, because we didn't have $30,000 to hire an employee. Uh, I slept on the couch. Um, we had filing deadlines where my partner had to bring food to me because I could not get up from my desk uh, without you know, jeopardizing a deadline. Uh, there was a blackout that year, and I was like, oh no, how are these companies going to uh, you know, forgive me that my lights went out? And then my partner came and says, relax, it's the entire eastern seaboard, it's not just your house. So you just have to, you have to be totally dedicated and, uh, and just hustle. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that one of the things that separated you guys and why you were able to make it was because of the ability to hustle, right? And that's something that I, I, you know, I know you a long time, and that's something that I constantly hear from you is this idea that people need to appreciate that you have to, that, I think that's part of the bug of being an entrepreneur is the tolerance for pain, if you will. Like I was you know, talking to my class about this, how like, you know, don't be a boxer if you don't like getting hit. Like it's really the wrong profession. So people like being an entrepreneur because they want to be rich, um, which is, a way to be rich. There are easier ways to be rich than being an entrepreneur. I mean, maybe being an entrepreneur and being rich is a better story, so you see more of it. Um, but you ha- you need a certain tolerance for hustle. You do, and you also, as an entrepreneur or CEO, you want to surround yourself with those types of people, um, people that have determination, people that have loyalty, people that have drive. And you know, sometimes people say to me, "Oh, you know, what do you look for?" When you hired, you look for a JD, an LLM, uh, an MBA, and, and it might be the wrong answer for some people, but my answer is I want somebody that'll hustle, that'll be creative, that'll be uh, determined and have drive and not be afraid. Um, I, I had an interview, I'll just tell you a quick story. I had an interview with a guy um, from, for a sales position, and I said, uh, he was a young kid, I said, do you, do you have an experience? He's like, no. I said, did you go to college? No. I said, you don't understand, sales is a scary position. You have to co-call, get hung up on, it's scary. You have to go to networking events, walk up to people you don't know. I was like, what have you been doing? You're, you're 22 years old, what have you been doing for the last two years? So he looks at me and he says, I'm a paratrooper for the Israeli Defense Force. I'm like, let me get this straight, you jump out of airplanes? <laughs> He's like, yeah. I'm like, you're probably not afraid to co-call if you're not afraid to jump out of an airplane, and I was right, and he, he did great. Um, it's just that, personality of determination that helps a company succeed, especially at the beginning when you're trying to hustle and find clients and find an audience. Right. So it's funny. We had, we had a, a, another individual on the show and he used the word relentless 
Um, and he said basically that one of the most important ingredients of success in business is relentlessness, meaning just you can't give in, you can't give up. What do you, do you find that in your career that the when everything goes down, right, it's the ability to just be relentless, to just not stay, to not stop and go at it and go at it and go at it is of the most important things beyond it's, it's smarts? It's up there. It's up there. You definitely, you need relentlessness, but with a, uh, with, in moderation. Um, you know, I had a, a guy that I interviewed for a position. I wasn't that interested. He knows that. And I said, thank you. We'll be in touch. And the next day, my secretary said, you know, Mr. Lazar is here to see you. And I said, who is he and what company is he with? And he said, he was here for an interview yesterday. I said, that's odd. Well, I'm not available. And then the next day, Mr. Lazar is here to see you. And the next day, Mr. Lazar was here to see you. So by the fourth day, I said, you know, you've got 30 days to prove yourself. He's been with me for about nine years. Wow. Produces probably three to four million a year. Wow. In revenue. And he is relentless. He will not take no from an answer from anybody. Wow. And that's a great quality to have, but in moderation, you right, know, that's right. not going right. to, that's not going to, uh, impress everybody. Right, right, right. You have to know who's who and what, when relentlessness works and exactly. when it doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you, you start the company and then it grows. And, and I think one of the things that people deal with when it comes to, um, the, the growing of a company is this difficult question that people have, especially if you are in a division, it, it, no, matter, no matter where you are, at some point you have to make a decision because you get stuck. Your value goes from processing to shaking hands with CEOs, right? You're the CEO, you're the chairman, you're the president of whatever company you have. And the first you know, year or two, whatever it is, you're, you know, you're on the couch, proverbial couch. And then at some point you go, you know what, I can't be on the couch because if I'm on the couch, then I'm not shaking hands. I'm not getting new orders. I'm not. How do you know when it's time to put yourself out there, to hire, to grow? Because many times you have to spend money before you make money. Many times if you just spend a couple of bucks, if you hire the guy, if it's on commission, that's easy. But when you want to build an infrastructure, when you want to you know, knock down cubicles to make a conference room, when you want to show the next level client that you're real, when you want to you know, take your presentations from you know, a PowerPoint, whatever it is, you have what to spend because you think you're worth it. That's, that's always a, a tough call and, and a personal decision because everybody's coming at it from a different perspective in terms of capital that they have available to them. Um, but I think you hit it on the head. Once you realize that your time can be better spent elsewhere or that the growth of the company needs your expertise in another capacity, you have to find somebody else to do what you're doing. If you could find anybody to do the processing, but not anybody can go speak to a CEO or speak to um, the attorneys to, to bring in the new business, that's, that's when your role really has to switch. And it has to deal with hiring people and also in terms of even facility-wise. At the beginning, I said, I promise, and I said this to the employees, when we hit 50 companies, we're going to change the carpet, which could have used the changing. Right. And when we hit 100 employees, we are going, when we hit 100 clients, we're going to paint the walls. And when we hit 250, we're out of here and we're going to upgrade facilities. And we set goals for ourselves um, because we didn't want to spend the money unnecessarily. Uh, and it also incentivized everybody that we're hitting milestones of growth. And I think that once the employees feel as if they're part of something that's moving in the right direction, uh, they, they, they're happy to be part of that. That's a great, great, great bit of advice that I, I think that as you're saying it, I'm 
as you see, I'm writing down notes. But I think everyone who's listening can really get that. And that's something that I think that is applicable in every aspect of your life. Many times in life, decision makers keep decisions behind the doors, right? Even parents, right? Do we want to take the kids to Disneyland, right? Do, do, do schools, businesses, every departments, right? They just the, the 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 decision makers sit and schmooze and go. Do we have money for it? Should we or shouldn't we? Uh, fine, we're gonna upgrade the carpets. And then you go up and the, and, and the employees go, oh, upgraded carpets, cool, and they like it. And it's such a simple but such a smart approach, which is, hey guys. We all want better carpet. We all want a new coffee machine, right? We all want nicer walls. Don't we all want that? Awesome. Here's what we're going to do. We all together are going to reach a common goal. That everybody wins, right? Because, I mean, you have to deliver, right? You can't be like kids. If you're good at the furniture store, take you to the ice cream store and then forget. But assuming that you can deliver on your promises, what you're doing is you're you're, in a way, you're bootstrapping until you don't have to bootstrap. And as opposed to having two guys behind the office going, should I, shouldn't I, you now have an entire company invested in making you more successful for carpet, right? Because it's a game, you know what I'm saying? It's like, why do people play Candy Crush? They just want to like feel like they're being productive. And if you're sitting in a cubicle answering customer service calls, like what's the difference? But if I know that three more customers get me a coffee machine, it's not about the coffee machine. It's about progress and growth. And that is such a great way to turn to your team and go, hey, we have to reach this milestone. And if we all reach it, we all get to benefit from it, even in the smallest way. Um, I, I learned part of that lesson from a, uh, a quick presentation by, uh, I'm sure you know, and your audience knows, uh, Tony Che from uh, Zappos. Sure. Talks about the definition of happiness a lot. And, um, and the definition of happiness, you know, happiness means different things to different people. And since I've heard him speak about this now probably five years, I just really focus on everybody that's in our business circle has their definition of happiness. So when you're speaking to a potential CFO, his definition of happiness is, you know, cost savings. A CEO is going to be compliance. Um, your partner might be uh, profit sharing. But you have to always consider as well the definition of happiness of your employees. And for them, a big part is the environment and the culture and um, you know, the, uh, the growth objectives of the company. So something as simple as you said, as the, as the carpet, as the walls, as the coffee machine, as getting a new kitchen instead of everybody eating at their desk, that goes a long way in, in their definition of happiness. So I always try to keep that in mind. Right. I mean, and, and that's a great segue because um, this is something that I think is very much what I think when I think of you as a businessman, meaning I know that there are a lot of guys out there that are quote unquote successful because they're a little bombastic and they're a little maybe, you know, they're, and then there are some guys that are businessmen in a very, they have a lot of integrity and they do it the right way. And um, what is your opinion in terms of how you grow? Because that's really what you've been doing over the past few years. You've launched Vintage and then that thank God, got sold for some nice amount of money. I don't know, you know what I'm saying? And then that was a great buyout by a huge company. And then you launched another company and then another company and another company. And you, you, you've been launching and growing companies, thank God, successfully. And tell me if I'm missing it, but I feel like you have a very specific approach towards growing companies. I do. Um, you told me once that you learned... Um, from experience to ABC. ABC means what? Always be closing. Always be closing. <laughs> I learned that from you. I'm going to add to that. 
Um, I'm a very big believer in ABG, always be giving. Yeah. I'm a very big believer in that you, if you spend your day giving people what they want, it will come back to you. Um, I am, uh, I'm pretty busy. I don't, I don't do a lot of reading, I'll be honest with you. But uh, a couple of years ago, somebody suggested a book, and for some reason, I, or maybe they gave it to me as a gift. It's a small book, small 50-page book. And I, you uh, gave it to me. I gave it to you once, The Go-Giver? Right? Uh, yeah, The Go-Giver. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that book changed my entire you outlook on business. Me. And I literally, I started reading it at a red traffic light. I had to pull over to the side of the road. <laughs> I read it from cover to cover, and it changed my life. I spend my day trying to give people what they want because at the end of the day, that will allow them uh, to, to happily give back to me. And it also changes your outlook every day. Instead of waking up every day feeling like you have to do battle and, and jam your service or your product down somebody's throat... You, you get to wake up every day and say, okay, how can I help others? And, oh, by the way, it's going to come back and help me. So if I meet uh, an attorney, okay, what kind of clients can I send him? What kind of conferences can I introduce him to? Uh, if I meet a CEO, what kind of articles can I send him? Just to, just to let him know that I'm thinking about him, staying on his radar, um, and, and, and even in terms of small gifts. You know, if I'm in somebody's office and I see that they, uh, they're a big basketball fan or they're a big popcorn fan or they're a big uh, vacation person, you know, and I send them a $25 gift certificate uh, on a cruise line, just small things that show people that you want to give to them, you want to keep them in mind for something other than just buy my product, buy my service, I, I think that goes a long way. Right, and, and that's a great, great approach, which is the end of the day, um, you have to get people to want to do business with you. So either you do it by convincing them or you do it by giving to them. And the ability to sort of sort of give and give and give ultimately comes back. Um, and But that only really works. And I think this is your original point because I can give all day and still be broke. Right. But the idea is you have to build a service that actually makes some money that people want. So it's, I'm hearing you say almost like two things, which I think if you put it together, it would be unbelievable, which is um, you have put it together. I'm saying if we as the audience understand it this way, which is on the one hand, you need the moment where you say to yourself, okay, I have something that people are going to, that has value to it, right? A service, a product, and that actually people would want to pay for. And I've thought through it and it's a good service. If you would be giving all day and your service would be rotten, or Correct. it would be overpriced, it wouldn't work. Right. The idea is to balance out the ability to deliver a service to the market that people like, and then in trying to get them to buy it, you have to be the person that is the place that they go to when they need something. Yeah, absolutely. You have to have, you have, to have a product, you have to have a service, you have to um, have quality and turnaround time, whatever, whatever your industry needs are, but at the same time, what... You have to ask yourself, what is going to make you different from your competitor? Why, if somebody has an opportunity to, to buy a widget and price is relatively the same, service relatively the same, uh, turnaround time is relatively the same, why should somebody come and use your company as opposed to the other 50 guys out there? And if at the end of the day is, well, because I have a relationship with you and I don't have a relationship with others because I get things of value from you that I don't get from others then of course I'm going to go to you. It's not even a question. Right. I, I, I actually had a, a sales rep that was so close with one of his uh, company CEOs that this, uh, this CEO went on his honeymoon and sent a postcard to, uh, to, the, to, to, our, to our employee, to Gabe, and it said, you know, just thinking of you, French River, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, 
this CEO is on the French Riviera on his honeymoon at some beach, and he's thinking about his sales rep. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty close relationship. So I think those relationships are what cultivate opportunities for business, right? Um, and really help you stand out from uh, from the crowd. It's funny because even as you're saying it, there's two things going on in my head, which is. I, I know how it sounds, which is people are going to say, oh, who has time for giving? I got to run a company and it's expensive and da, da, da. But it's not about the money, right? It's about the thought. Because one of the things that I know you do, because we've discussed this before, is that many times if you find an article that you like, you'll share it with people, right? You'll share it with your LinkedIn group. Uh, many of the gifts you're talking about here aren't hundreds of dollars, right? It could be a book. It could be a memento. It could be the, the point is not to spend tons and tons and tons and tons of your money that you don't have in the company, let's say, especially if you're growing. The point is to be thoughtful, right? And it could be time, right? It could be, I, I heard that your kid wants to go see the Nick game and, you know, or it, it, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be really a lot of money. And you mentioned LinkedIn. And, and for those of you that, uh, that are, whether you're a social media fan or not, um, and Charlie, you know this, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn, but that's a great way to, uh, to hone in on what you just pointed out. It doesn't have to cost anything. Um, I've had companies come to me and sign up with us, and I'm like, can you tell me why? I've been chasing you for two years. And they say, well, we're hoping if we become a client that you'll congratulate us on your LinkedIn, and uh, that would be good for us. You know, people just want to show, they want to know that you matter to them. And um, I think that social media, whether it's articles or conferences, you don't even have to sponsor a conference. But if I, if I, if I point out, hey, you know, you're based in Houston and you're a, you're a pharma company, I just want you to know there's a big biotech company there. I thought you might enjoy it. I want to point it out to you. That guy really appreciates that. Right. And, and it also gives you an opportunity to stay on his radar. Because if you think about it, when you meet a prospect and you're that first phone call is introducing yourself. And the second call is talking about your product. And the third phone call is about how you could save him money. By the fifth, sixth, seventh phone call, you can't continue to just plug yourself. You actually have to talk about something real or do something for him. And by giving articles, conferences, small things that don't have to cost a lot of money, it's also an opportunity to keep the relationship going without having to just sell, sell, sell. Right. And I think that's exactly where what you're getting at, which is, it's about knowing who you're dealing with. And if you know somebody else, that automatically is the distinguishing factor, right? Because that's it, meaning you know me, because you've listened to me when I said that I was excited about the Knicks or about biotech or that I wanted to read the book that you mentioned. And so if you care enough about me to know what I like and to show me that you know about me, that's amazing, and to think that, and it really, by the way, is like that. Like, it's unbelievable. Where, like, you know, you see these stories, and, and again, this is, you know, you'll see a story of like this, you know, this, you know, this couple that, like, you know, getting divorced or whatever, and like, they're they're so wealthy, and and there's so much money, and there's so many gifts and presents, and you know. It, it's a stereotypically, you know, one the wife will tell the husband, like, yeah, I know it, but you got me the diamond, whatever. But that's you didn't. It, it wasn't. It didn't come from you. Like your secretary ordered it. Like, and the guy will look at it and go, "What do you mean? You're you're wearing a diamond necklace. Do you know what you have?" And like in this stereotypical example that I'm bringing up, this proverbial story, the idea is that she's saying to him, "I don't care about the diamond." And every woman's thinking, "Like, yeah, I do." But like, <laughs> I care about you, and you need to care about me. And if it's a diamond, it's fine. And I. That's one, but at the end of the day, if it's a card or a rock, the first time we met, or you're showing me that it is the relationship, not the money, 
And your ability to sort of take a relationship from you have something and I have something, right? It's you have the need to be fi- for filing. I'm, a fi- I'm the filing business. You have a product and you have money. I have a product to I care about you. Now, it doesn't have to be like I care about everything about you, but I just care about you enough. It's that relationship. And, and without it sounding self-serving, once you have that relationship, that's going to help you down the road as well because everybody – Every company, every entrepreneur, it's inevitable to have setbacks and orders are going to be late. Things are going to be missed. And if you're just a regular guy out there and you don't have a relationship with the client, then as soon as something goes bad, they'll drop you and move on elsewhere. But you know what? If things happen and they always do and you're sincere about it and you're honest about it and say, hey, listen, John, you know, we we missed the deadline or something dropped or whatever the case is, you have an existing relationship. They're far more understanding. And they're like, you know, I'm not so happy, but I appreciate that you let me know, or, you know, we go way back. I know we do for each other. You know, you sent me a couple clients over the years, so I'm going to let this one slide. So at the end of the day, that relationship not only helps you cultivate new business, but at the same time, it helps you hold on to your existing business, which... In this uh, in this world is uh, is equally as important when you're running a company, right? You know, I I heard a story about a CEO, and and I don't know what everyone's budget is, but I heard a story about a CEO that every year allocates five thousand dollars, which isn't a lot of money for a company that he runs, and all it's there for is small gifts, and he literally sure. every year allocates it, and he'll just do things like. He'll hear that one of his employees has, has a birthday and he'll just drop off, you know, movie tickets or he'll hear that some, you know, had a baby or a graduation or and what he'll do is he'll, he'll just it's not his money, so to speak. Like at the beginning of every year, it's five thousand dollars of money that he invests into his employees or in customers and he just uses it for like, you know, tens, fifteens and twenty dollar purchases on Amazon or whatever. And he said like that money that that five thousand dollars is worth in many ways more than the his advertising budget, you know, and like it's such a big deal and it's so small and it's so um it's so important. And I think it's something that many people just don't get around to do. And that's it's not a question of the fives and the tens. I think what really is the problem is that many of us are saying, I am so busy every day. I got to worry about so much and I got a a company to run or I got a department to run or I got a family to run and I got, I'm juggling my life and I just don't have time to deal with whether or not, or I'll get to it or Christmas is coming or Hanukkah is coming or end of the year is coming. And, and they just don't appreciate and what I'm hearing you say and what I want to sort of reinforce on the show is that people don't appreciate that. That's the priority, right? The priority is the relationship. The, the, whether or not that employee is doing the hour extra of work, that's going to be the difference between good and great service. Whether or not that customer says, oh, I'll stick with you when someone drops or I'll go to you when someone else comes in with a, with a brighter presentation is the $15 gift card. That's the core. Absolutely. Amazing. And, 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 in seeing this and watching it grow, I guess the question then is, you know, how do you know when it's sort of the time to, um, to expand, to grow? That's something that sort of comes in naturally. So someone comes in and says, hey, I wanna, I'm ready to grow and build. And what, what kind of advice would you give someone that has the ideas and the vision for something of grandeur, but you know, doesn't really know when to sort of put their, their foot on the gas? I think that it, it, it does happen naturally. It should happen naturally because there are some people out there that start off with 
they're running the company with the objective of it being massive or running the company from day one with an eye towards selling it. You know, anytime I start a company, I'm, 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 my objective is to be around in a month. My objective is to be around in six months mm. and to just, you know, just push it as hard as I can. That's why even people that focus on, on, on targets and goals, I personally am not a very big believer on that. My target, my goal is as much as I can every day, all day, period. Um, and so if you're starting a company with a, a focus of, okay, I'm going to do A, B, and C so that someday I can sell it, I don't think you're going to get there. I think you have to do A, B, and C so that I can have a great business and, and happy clients and a great product or great service. And then at, time, at that time when you, you know, can't handle the workflow, which is a great problem to have, you'll know it's time to expand. Um, for certain types of companies, expansion is not always the, uh, the best thing for you, and you have to recognize that sometimes mm -hmm. and, and, and take your time. There's no, there isn't always the need to, to push to expansion if it's going to set the company back by growing too fast or by rolling out um, a product too quickly or by taking on an order that's too big because if you do that and it goes bust, the setback is going to be greater. Right, that's a great. Uh, it's a great point, which is really focus on being great today, which may require whatever it needs. But when you start to think too far advanced, when you start to make decisions, um, and I think many companies end up failing. Be most of the reason why companies fail, obviously, is because of money. And there's really two two major causes. One, there's not enough money, or there's, if you will, there's too much obligation. So either you start, you don't have enough money to get going, or like you're saying, you come in, you're ready to take on the whole world. You haven't really gotten it down to, down to how to serve the next client, but you're so busy waiting to see how much money you're going to make that you're pushing, pushing, growing, growing, growing. Now, there is a concept of growth, but like you're saying, and you're growing above and beyond what the value can give. And I think if you're just giving value, 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 that's how you, you win. Let me ask you this. I know that we, we you've got to come to an end soon, unfortunately, um, for us. Was there ever a moment throughout your growth of the company? You literally started it from your basement and you sold it. This is the dream, right? People all dream about starting a company, then it grows to... How many employees did you get to before you sold out to PR Newswire? We were about at a, 110 employees, um, about 3,000 customers... And we ranked uh, one of the top uh, four filing firms in the country at that point. So that, that, this literally is the, the story, right? This is the story that, you know, there are thousands of people that are dreaming about. My basement, not... I think people are dreaming about sleeping on their couch because it's cool, but not really doing it. So, <laughs> for, not, for a night or two. <laughs> right, for a night or two, exactly. Um, the, the dream is me and a buddy sit across the table and say, let's do it. And then how many years? Five years. Five years later, you know... Top top company in the in the country sold out for multi million dollar you know to to a major league multinational company, so you've you've lived it thank God and and these are the, and the principles you've laid out for us are sort of the principles where someone else can put in. Um, was there a moment as this company was growing where you said to yourself, "I'm out, I can't do this, I'm going back, um, we're not this isn't going to work." Was there a, a dark moment where you thought? What am I doing? Did I just make a mistake and we're about to give up? Probably only every day for the first year and a half. <laughs> every so, day. So there's a high year. Right about 11 p.m. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> Please make it stop. <laughs> Specifically, honestly, Friday afternoons. It was my worst time. Really? I was just like, 
the work is too much. I'm I'm working till you know 25 minutes before Shabbos. You know, my wife is 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 supportive and she's amazing, and my kids are. You know, it, it just it gets overwhelming, and and I cannot tell you how many times I was just, what am I doing? I'm not making any money. You know, I'm going back to being a lawyer, and I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna walk away from it. Just, I'm not make. It just. It just gets overwhelming. And wow. and frankly, with with other companies also, with uh, with V Corp Services, which which thank God made the uh, the Inc uh, list for the last two years in a row. The first two years, we were just losing money, and it was and it was just an overwhelming task. And um and and so yeah, you're gonna get down a lot. It just goes with the uh, the territory. So how do you know when you feel down? When it's time to abandon ship, like you did with the weight the weight right, loss right. Uh, company, and when it's time to keep on pushing. You know, I think that as long as you see results, you can keep going. Just not to not to use a weight loss example, but right. I mean, if you if you see yourself, you're, you're dieting and, and you're you're losing a pound here, two pounds here, three pounds here. You're like, all right, I'm miserable. I I don't want to continue, but I'm seeing some results, so I'm going to stick with it a little bit longer and see where it goes. You know, as opposed to like with this Weight View company. I didn't really see any results out of the gate. It was, there was just no money to be made. Uh-huh. So with, with, with Vintage, as miserable as I was working so hard, um, it was a product that was, that was uh, appreciated. It was a product that was making money. Um, and so that gave us the encouragement to just continue and uh, go a little bit more, a little bit more, until at some point the goal, the dream, is that it just takes a turn mm-hmm. and become cash flow positive, uh, you get to hire some people so that you're not extremely overwhelmed, mm-hmm. and then it actually does get easier um, once uh, once you're able to scale. And once you're able to scale properly, yeah. right? The last question, and this is a question that, I, as as you're talking, it popped into my head. Um, we live in a world, obviously, of you know religious tolerance. Thank God, we live in a world where someone who's a religious Jew um, and has every seventh day off. And for those who are listening, you know Shabbat. That for those who are not following, Shabbat is where people are basically turned off for Orthodox Jews are turned off from Friday night to Saturday night, plus holidays and things like that. So there are moments where you as a founder, especially, I can't think of another founder that I've ever spoken with whose business was 24-7, who um, had to be off for one of those, that, that seven. Was it ever a problem that obviously you know, you know, you you would never go back on your beliefs. I'm asking in terms of the company growth, or did you ever feel like um, that you were in a situation where your religion was compromising your success, or was it um, something that you never thought about? No, it it, it does come up. Um, you know, from a halachic standpoint, the 24/7 belief for another conversation in terms of. Uh, ways to go about setting that up. But just from a personal standpoint, it, it, it never really affected me. Um, one time I remember I was sitting in shul on, on Pesach, on Passover, and uh, one tends to daydream, I guess, from time to time. And I, was, I realized it was about 10, 10 o'clock in the morning, and I realized, oh, no. I had a conference call with the entire board of a very large uh, Carnival Cruise Ship Public Company, and I forgot to tell them that I wasn't going to be in. Wow. And it was a scheduled call at ten, and and I said, "Well, listen, there's nothing I can do about it, right? right. I mean, it, it is what it is, and I didn't, I didn't, and I'm going to just uh, hope for the best." 
And, and kind of over the next day or so, before I actually spoke to them, I was like, oh, you'll see. God's going to say, you see, you did the right thing, and you didn't think about it, and you put your faith in, and they're going to say, don't worry about it. We're giving you the contract. And I ended up speaking to the CEO after the holiday, and he's like, you didn't show up. Don't ever call us again. <laughs> and that was it. So um, it, doesn't, it doesn't always end up rosy, but I'm a big believer it wasn't meant to be anyway. So uh, as long as you have that mentality that, uh, you know, what, what's meant to be will be, um, you, can't let, uh, you can't let any potential lost opportunities bother you because they weren't meant, uh, they weren't meant for you anyway. Right. And, and, and you're, you're, you're a great example of somebody who can launch a business that is that time demanding and still hold on strong to your religious beliefs, which is incredibly... Um, it's it's very respectful, and I and I think that's something that it's it's it, you can learn from it both from a person who is and and, and thank God you have a a large a large family you've got a whole, you know how many kids you have thank seven God. seven kids so, so you're not sitting around the, the the story your story which is inspiring to me personally and I think to the listeners is a story of someone who can launch a successful can launch successful multiple companies without having to live in a college dorm room, which is fine for those who are living in a dorm room, but with having a full family, thank God, and being incredibly active in the community, which I know you are, and incredibly connected to your to your faith, and those pieces are not pieces that are, they may end up making your road a little bit more detoured fold, but at the end of the day, there's proof in the pudding where, um, these are things that are not going to stop you from becoming the person that you're meant to be and changing uh, the world in the way that you can. And Seth, I appreciate you being on the show here. It's really so informative, and um, we thank you. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network.